I can imagine you've spent uh, much of last night reading through the findings and the updates and, of course, uh, sharing this with many of our peers. So I guess first things first, what is the main takeaway from, uh, I guess, the dismissal of these charges to the major banks? Does this mean that they are not found guilty of any sense of malfeasance? No, I mean, certainly what happens is that this case is still going ahead um, and it's going ahead against five of the existing institutions. And when it comes to local banks, APSA has already entered into a leniency agreement, which is effectively a plea bargain in essentially admitting its its own complicity in what happened. So, you know, there is some accountability. It just isn't at the scale that people had hoped for. It seemed like the Competition Commission had overreached. Um, and it's, it's a bit... It's a bit um, I suppose, disastrous that that this happened for its own case. Mm. And maybe let's talk about that, that uh, um, you know, the level of uh, the investigation from the Competition uh, Commission and Competition Appeal Court, because this is also where there's a lot of questions around the reach, the scope, and maybe even the bite of our regulatory institutions. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, I think that the, the Competition Commission... Um, got a bit of a slap down. I mean, certainly what the appeal court says is that they haven't proved the case properly. And we certainly know that there's a case to be answered. I mean, if you look at overseas, there have been three traders that have actually been, you know, admitted guilt in, in a U.S. court. One of them is in jail. So there is certainly a case to be answered. It just looks like our competition commission didn't put the case together as thoroughly as they should have and didn't investigate the case quite like they should have. So... Yeah, I mean, I suppose this is something of a slap down for them. They could still appeal it to the Constitutional Court, but I'm not sure if they will do that at this point. Mm. I'm also intrigued, uh, you know, as we talk about the reach and the scope, this has also been mentioned in some of the uh, uh, writings about this particular issue uh, around the uh, jurisdiction of international banks and organizations. Uh, uh, does this also play an influence on, on how the Competition Commission might have handled this investigation? Yeah, certainly. I mean, it didn't, it didn't prove the case as thoroughly as it should have. It certainly was asked to prove a far clearer link between, you know, the local banks that were doing this and, um, and the local traders who were doing this and the foreign banks. And they weren't able to do that in, in many of the cases. Now, if this is just because it was a tough case to prove or if they had stumbled and hadn't investigated and prosecuted the case properly, I mean, it's hard to say at this point. But, you know, the Competition Authority, the Competition Commission is critical in terms of ensuring that companies and the corporate sector and held accountable for what they do. So it's not great when they don't do things properly and you don't have banks being held to account for doing things like, you know, rigging the rand and, and messing with our, uh, you know, um, economy. Mm. I'll come back to the statement around rigging the rand and the impact on the economy um, um, as there's been a lot of confusion about the influence of this particular case on, I guess, inflation and where the rand, dollar rand is trading at the moment. But let's talk Investec for a moment. You've alluded to APSA getting into a plea bargain. We've commented on Standard Bank, First Rand and Nedbank uh, essentially having the charges against them dismissed. But Investec is the only bank that didn't join the application uh, brought by the other banks to uh, have the case thrown out for lack of evidence. Uh, help us understand uh, if there's any understanding you know, reasoning or, or justification as to why they've decided to go this route? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, they should have absolutely gone this route. And I'm sure at this point, with the appeal court having kicked out the, kicked out the case, uh, I bet they're wishing they had joined it. Um, I'm not entirely sure why they didn't join it, because certainly they would have made many of the same arguments. Um, perhaps they plan to then 
defeated at a later stage and certainly they can now use this ruling to some extent. Um, but, you know, I mean, I absolutely imagine Investec would be kicking themselves for not doing this at this point. What does this mean for them? Can they still uh, fight this in court with the competition authorities or um, I guess will investigations still continue to ensue to, to elaborate on the extent of their role in this case? Yeah, well, I mean, essentially now the case goes to um, essentially a trial phase and they have to respond. I think it's within 40 days they have to give their answers to the I think it's the competition division or the tribunal about about this particular case. And in that particular forum, Investec can now spell out their particular answer to it. Um, you know, they missed a chance to to completely let themselves off the hook at this particular stage. But I suppose they're now in a situation where they're going to have to argue it from there, you know, and go through the whole process, which means that there's a much more tedious process for them. Um, but, you know, this is a long process. This mm-hmm. has already been going since 2017. I mean, it's staggering that it's taken so long. We've seen, like I said earlier, guys in prison in the U.S. for this already. And, and here, you know, we still have people arguing in, in tribunals and, you know, taking exceptions to this and exceptions to that. And it's quite, it takes forever, you know. <laughs> exactly. 100%. And Rob, maybe this does give us an opportunity to add some perspective, you know, into the rigging of the RAND and the, the, the impact that this has had on um, our, our economy. Um, from what I understand, the, this particular case and, and the findings speak specifically to uh, the spread, uh, the, 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 the le- points level or level at which, you know, uh, the currency would be bought or sold. Um, and of course, uh, the, the lack of fluctuation in, in terms of uh, the pricing that we will put for the currency in these particular transactions. Uh, take us back, I guess, to understanding how this speaks to a rigging of the rand specific to transactions and the technicalities as to how this happened versus just the currency that we happen to quote on a market update every other day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this took place between 2007 and 2013. That's the time that this particular behavior is alleged to have happened. Um, and it wouldn't have actually, there's 26 billion rand. I mean, there's massive amounts of rand dollar currency traded every day. I mean, you see it quoted, like you say, in your market reports. You know, there's billions traded all over the world. So one small trader colluding with another was saying to somebody like, you offer a lower rate to a buyer and I'll offer a higher rate. It's not really going to move the rand. What it will do is it'll rip off that particular client. So if you have a customer who says, I want to buy this much dollars, um, get me a good rate for it. And they approach their mate somewhere else and they organize a deal. Essentially, they're ripping off that particular customer. It's not really going to move the value of the rand. It's certainly not going to produce the... You know, the, the figures quoted the trillions lost every day and the kind of big news in the RAND that, that um, several people have talked about. I mean, that's not going to happen. What it's going to do is it's going to make those traders make more money for themselves. They're gonna, it's going to affect their bonuses, make them wealthier and help their banks potentially at the time. But it's not going to lead to the RAND being, you know, severely undervalued for 10 years. I mean, that's more a reflection of the wider economy and, and other things going on like, you know, Obviously, things like load shedding are what mm-hmm. impacts the rand more than that. Um, but these guys were certainly doing for themselves, and they would have they would have made bonuses based on it, and they would have made themselves some cushy extra money. Mm. And we've seen similar cases of this nature in the UK, and this obviously speaks to individuals who found a way of actually colluding uh, and con- conspiring to do this. Uh, help us understand yeah. how this speaks to accountability, because a trader is a trader as an individual, but still working for a large uh, institution and corporate, right? So does this make it more difficult for us to really see a, a level of accountability uh, for the right people, essentially, to be put behind bars beyond just the institutions paying a fine? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that I think that that's the big issue is that we haven't seen institutions in this country or people, individuals who who actually did the things 
put behind bars. I mean, that's the same story with Steinhoff. It's the same story with Tongot, Hewlett, UOH, various others, where people still haven't faced accountability for things that happened, you know, six, seven years ago. And that's one of the big issues, is that is that we don't have much accountability when people do, do things wrong in our private sector. And that's something that absolutely needs to be needs to be addressed. Certainly in this case, the long delays at the competition courts of this case means that, you know, we're far behind in terms of that. Like I said, overseas, one guy's already sitting in jail in the US mm. for this, this exact issue. Um, and yet here we have, you know, we have people arguing in, in, in courts. I think you're absolutely right. We need to move beyond, you know, banks and then companies just paying sort of a token amount and getting away with it. We need to ensure people are put in jail. 100%. We do have a voice note that's coming from one of our listeners, uh, uh, again, asking, I, I guess, about the silence that we've seen from certain institutions, uh, Bonso, um, who's actually asked a question. So, Rob, we're just going to play this briefly, uh, and hopefully you can help elaborate on the question that she asks. Uh, good evening, Gugu, and compliments of the new year. My question is that has the South African Reserve Bank um, commented on this? I haven't heard anything and if not, why? Uh, I think uh, it, it goes deep uh, into the structure of how a banking system is and how it's linked uh, to other international banking systems. And the fact that we actually don't own the Reserve Bank itself as a country, maybe also as a contribution on the manipulation of the rent. Yeah, that's my comment and question. Thank you. Thank you so much to Ponzo Radice there for his voice note. Uh, Rob, I'm hoping you heard him clearly, but really bringing to the fore a concern that many South Africans would ask is about the role of the South African Reserve Bank. Number one, have they not responded or have they? Uh, and number two, just understanding their role, uh, especially uh, as, as providing oversight of the banks as to how they review such structures and maybe even questions around their independence again. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Reserve Bank, you know, it's responsible for, for overseeing the conduct of banks and they did investigate this. Um, they did investigate these abuses a while ago. Um, I don't think they actually acted against the banks in that particular case. And I think that they're waiting to see what happens in the in this um, in this particular competition case. I mean, they do talk about you know bolstering the oversight over over trading floors um, and you know ensuring the markets better aligned. But um, yeah, the Reserve Bank has has been remarkably quiet on this. Um, I suppose they've been fighting other fires, Palapala reports and and the like. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a you should, you should ask them that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think we certainly will, especially when they give us their, their latest MPC uh, speech and update. Uh, um, and I recall that that's actually where Alyssa Chahanyaho actually um, um, referred any questions around the currency concerns um, to uh, the Competition Commission. But you're right, they yeah. do need to uh, stand up and say anything and something, hopefully, anything, just to give us some kind of clarity. But Rob, as we close off, you have been, uh, gosh, a formidable journalist in South Africa, following through with a lot of stories that influence um, the business landscape, uh, how it influences politics, how all of these just intercept um, with social, political uh, and just the macroeconomic environment coming from a business point of view. Uh, in your view and your observations, given Steinhoff, given this currency manipulation, uh, Tongat, EOH, many other institutions that we can refer to, what's your take, I guess, not only on the role and real levels of governance that we see in South Africa's private institutions, but have we done enough, essentially, to eradicate the levels of corruptions that uh, are typically hidden through the, the woodwork and um, around the laws uh, within um, 
bold, big institutions? Not, not in the least. I mean, the thing is that, I mean, you look at all these cases and it, it happened because, you know, companies did what they did and boards of directors kind of weren't up to the task of oversight and regulators didn't do their job either. And and I think most fundamentally, the criminal authorities just don't seem to be up to the task of prosecuting these complicated white-collar crimes. I mean, Steinhoff is a case in point. I mean, that happened in 2017. I mean, that's now seven years later. You know, the former CEO who's been named in a report six years ago as the mastermind behind it mm. hasn't even been arrested. I mean, it's, I, I, you know, the, the question is, can our authorities do it? And if, if so, why aren't they? Because it's just, you know, in terms of sending a message to our corporate sector that they need to be held accountable and need to do the right things, um, it's, it's lamentable, you know. It's just, <laughs> I mean, you see it every day and this sends a terrible message that you can get away with, with a lot if you have enough money. 100%. And that's a concern, right? Because, oh, yeah, the money, power, politics, uh, all no, of them actually. somehow happen to be interlinked. Rob, always a pleasure speaking to you. And thank you so much for your time, for helping us uh, uh, decipher and understand the story. Hopefully there won't be too many gremlins to bring out uh, of corporate SA. But <laughs> the truth is they need to be revealed anyway to understand the problem and following that, hopefully solve for it. Thanks again for your time, Rob. If you missed it live... Catch the podcast on kaya959.co.za.